Hello, everyone. Welcome to Locked On Suns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Today, as always, I'm joined by co-host Brendan Kalima, both right for Bright Side of the Sun. I'm your host, Evan Sidery, and we're following you today after I just, I just came back from the Phoenix Suns practice Europa. Quick notebook about that, but today it is finally halfway stock report time. We had quarterly stock reports about five weeks ago, and we've, the Suns have already almost played 20 games in a month span. They played 19 total games. We're going to react to how they played over that, that those 19 games. So we're going to start off first with Devin Booker which is probably our easiest grade between the both of us. Over that stretch, Book averaged 29 points on 42% shooting, 42% from three-point range as well, five assists, four and a half rebounds, and a steal. So for me, even back from his injury, the Suns also have a four and three record. So for me, I think Book is an easy A. How about you? Yeah, I would say, um, yeah, and, and a big part of the story for him during this second quarter of the season has been that those nine games he missed from injury, obviously not really a factor in what grade we give him, but just um, to kind of pull that story together for what the past month or two have looked like for him. Um, but yeah, I think for me it's an A, just because of you know it's kind of hard to to come up with new things to say about him, talking about him every day. But um, for this, I tried to dive a little bit deeper into exactly how he's finding offense and. Um, three-point efficiency and 42 percent is is excellent in those games um he's 39 percent on the year uh which is 72nd percentile all, all the percentile numbers i'm going to use are from um ben folks cleaning the glass who basically the way those percentiles work is they he divvies up each player into a positional category so booker obviously is a guard in this um case and so i'm um, on Three-pointers being a 39% shooter this year. He's in the 72nd percentile, um, which is really elite, sort of trending toward what we expected from him early in the year. And then, um, you know, one thing I would be interested to see what you kind of think, because it's actually decently similar to what I found um, with the first quarter, it is that he's, he's efficient at the shots that are not efficient shots. Um, and outside of transition, he really struggles to to find easy looks, and um, I guess from you is whether you think that's a product of um, you know as we talk about not necessarily the most ideal roster or the best talent around him game to game, or if um, if it's really just he's he's hunting some of those inefficient shots and relying too much on on the mid range and isolation opportunities, which he's done very well at for his age and for his development. But um, I just kind of where you lie on that scale would be interesting to me. Um, Really to answer that, I, I really don't know at this point. I feel like it's more along the lines of how we've talked about earlier with the spacing of this roster, because like I mentioned, I wrote a piece on how they should construct a roster around Devin Booker. And the main thing I, I target in this free agency class is shooters, 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 shooters. All You need to surround Devin Booker like James Harden almost because the, the only two guys since November 1st to have seven free free throws and threes a game are Booker and James Harden, so you can build those guys like that. But I, I really think it's a product of spacing, but if you do get him more of those guys via the trade deadline or the offseason or these guys developing, if they develop in the shooters and spacing the floor, if he's still hunting these shots, then I think it is a product of that. But right now I think it's definitely the spacing. How about you? Yeah, I think, I think that – it's um, that's probably the most reasonable assumption, just because of um, you know it's 
easiest to say that we know that the lack of spacing right now is hurting him. Um, we can't necessarily try to make the assumption that if um, so we know for right now that these guys aren't shooting, that's a result we know for sure. Um, and it's obviously not ideal for him. Um, I, I don't know as far as, you know, stylistically and, and all of that, the way he plays, um, how much that'll change. And that, that is one thing that worries you just because um, we can also say that for three years, that's it sort of has been his, his tendency, um, even in this breakout season. So to kind of dive into that, I would just say um, the most kind of worrisome shots um so 12% of his shots come in isolation, 22% in transition, and um, 26% as a pick-and-roll ball handler. Those are kind of the three main ways that he finds offense. Um, but especially as a pick-and-roll ball handler, um, in those situations where he's shooting at the rim, he's only shooting 58% on those shots, which is in the 30th percentile. And the Suns, as a team, are pretty abysmal um, getting to the rim or are not getting to the rim. They, they shoot a lot of shots at the rim, but aren't efficient doing so. Um, they're seventh in, B, in the NBA as far as the number of shots that they get at the rim each game, but 9%, which is 28th in the league. So Booker falls into that and obviously taking the majority of the shots for the team. Um, he was actually up at 61% at the rim his rookie year and has fallen down to 58% uh, with the extra usage um, this year. And so that's not a good sign from him. Base where as he continues to get stronger um, will be helpful. Um, and then, you know, he's drawing more f- uh, fouls this year, shooting a lot more free throws, which is a, a good way to counter the inefficiency at the rim. But that's going to be, I think, a really big area. And, you know, if we continue down that Harden comparison – um, Harden's become a, an, one of the better, if not the best, guard finisher in the league, right up there with um, Russell Westbrook, I would say, as as a very top-notch guy. And, and a lot of that did come once he was able to consistently draw those fouls um, with the array of moves he has down there to draw those fouls. And so it, maybe that's how Booker gets there. Maybe it's com- opponents consistently respecting his ability to draw fouls and, and kind of playing um, to, to negate that, and then he's able to get easier looks off down there. But um, that's sort of the, the one area, if you were to, to tick him down a little bit this second quarter of the season, it has been um, that efficiency at the rim. He's, he's doing a lot of his damage from mid-range, which is obviously an inefficient way to score. Yeah, what's really interesting, I was looking up stats today for, for this episode, and one thing I really stumbled across that surprised me is how advanced Booker is at scoring already at all three levels. So far from the restricted area, like you say, he's 57.8%. In the paint, he's 37%, which is very worrisome. But for mid-range, 45.8%. Left corner, 345%. Right corner, 3, 28.6%. And above the break threes, he shot already 190 times and shooting 39.4% from there. And the only guys that are putting up better numbers from all these zones and attempting as many above-the-break threes as him is Kyle Korver, Stephen Curry, and Klay Thompson. And he's, if he didn't miss those nine games, I averaged it up on a gamely average. It says that really he'd be ahead of Klay Thompson and only behind Curry and Kyle Korver. Oh, actually, only Stephen Curry, sorry, for the most above-the-break threes and having that this efficient of a season from all these zones. So... I were kind of understating, even though he does have this lack of spacing, he is still putting up some very elite numbers at the age of 21 from all of these zones. 
Yeah, and that's the thing I think overall too is um, you, you earn I think the respect of defenses and and you earn the you know more responsibility from your team. The Suns obviously rely a tremendous amount on Booker every game. That hopefully in the future when they get better scoring talent around him and these guys fill into their roles a little bit better, that part of it will be uh, lessened as well he won't need to do he won't need to be the best shooter the best passer and the best you know overall scorer from the three levels um, on the team you'll have guys who can lessen the load of, of for him on all those ends and, um, and as far as statistically that I looked at um, is that in the seven I, of all the numbers that I have unfortunately are from before the Thunder game, so I, I guess that doesn't matter too much for Booker, but maybe in the next sections with Bender and Jackson specifically, those might look a little worse than than they do now, but um, since Booker, those seven games since Booker's returned, he's been um, a plus 7.6 net rating at, compared to a negative 0.6 overall on the season. Still, that negative 0.6 as far as the minutes he's playing and the load he's carrying is a one of the better numbers on the team, but that plus 7.6, and it's something we touched on uh, last night where the guys who, the core timeline guys who we're talking about today have really flipped and become the, the biggest positives for the team uh, over the last couple of weeks. But plus 7.6 since his return is a really, really positive sign for me. And like you pointed to that four and three record, kind of combining those two really shows you uh, kind of unequivocally, like Booker is leading the team to wins. Is kind of the only you can make um, based on those numbers and that's really I think a, a really big sign for him going forward too yeah along the lines though with Devin Booker I was at practice today and he said that one of the things he was talking about was playoffs and so was Jared Dudley they were adamant about making a playoff push and that's really surprising for me as far as this young team I know a lot of people wanted to have a top five pick and so far like we said Booker is four and three in those games and even though those wins are against some pretty inferior teams that are probably gonna be in the top three top four that says a lot about how the Suns used to be, though, because those games never used to occur, even the first few months of the season, albeit against worse teams. But like you said, Brennan, the efficiency that Booker has and really leading this team forward and the mentality he's carrying right now, it says a lot about him. And really, are there any final thoughts you have on Booker? Because I know we've said his playmaking, and I talked to him about that. He's really comfortable with the workload, which surprised me. So I think we're probably going to be seeing that a lot more in the second half. As far as that goes, how do you see it playing out for Booker in the second half because we have we have grades for him but just before we get to the grades what's your overall impression of how Booker could do leading this team in the second half yeah I mean um that obviously the the increased role that he's taking on as a playmaker is going to be probably the biggest story for him and for the Suns as a whole and I would um I hope I can remember uh, to keep monitoring that 26% of his shots as of right now. So to this point, this season have come um, as a pick and roll ball handler, as I mentioned, I would be interested to see how that continues to grow or, or what that number does in the future. Um, and, you know, continuing to see how his minutes fall playing that backup point guard really, or, or potentially even further on into the year, at maybe the, the starting, the lead ball handler with the starting unit. Um, that's probably the biggest storyline for the Suns at all, apart from just you know winning and losing and, and their lottery versus playoff odds. But the thing I'm looking at in a piece I'll have up on, on Bright Side of the Sun later this week, Wednesday or Thursday, will be his defense and how that um, can continue. 
continue to hold up or whether it can or not uh, as he takes on that bigger role and just the development he's undergone this year especially. Um, I think he's become much more um, hardworking on that end. Uh, a lot of the mistakes early in his career were for the product of laziness, I, I would say, or um, maybe it was a discomfort with his big offensive role after really not having anything close to it at Kentucky in his one season there. So um, he's contesting any jump shot that's within range uh, these days and um, really playing screens hard uh, at when he's defending the ball handler. And those have both been for months now, really, since Triana took over. It's it's just more comfort in that sort of defensive system. And um, he still struggles getting blown by pretty often by faster players or, or when he's not playing at 100% on, on that end. But I think um, he has sort of become underrated, especially, I think, as we see younger players blow up Offensively, there's a tendency to assume that they've um, taken either a step back or really not made any development as defensive players. But um, Triano raves about the progress Booker's made, and I think we're kind of seeing it if we can look a little bit more closely. For sure, and I, I, this this just popped in my head. I'm going to ask you about. It. I looked up some, I looked up some images about this, and it really caught me off guard actually to see the improvements in him physically, but. When I talked to assistant GM Pat Conley before the game, I had a chance for just a quick discussion with him. Discussion with him while we were watching Booker warm up, just talking about how he's improved. He mentioned that he he has added on not big muscle mass, but you can definitely see that the weight is there, and he's starting to develop into that role. And when I asked him about that Harden that Harden piece, that's what he mentioned because he he read the Kevin O'Connor piece and had a thought on that. But I think that's very interesting because. He is definitely building up, and do you think that book could continue to build up into like a more wing-like frame? I think so. I, uh, part of researching this piece, just looking at film from, and it's kind of cool if people are interested to go back. There's a lot of um, just because he's kind of been a big, bigger name throughout his career after that big rookie season. There's a lot of these like mixes on YouTube that are like Devin Booker versus, and then it'll be James Harden. There's two or three Kawhi Leonard. There's I think one or two, um, but to kind of monitor his progress in that way through his career, like especially if you go back even further and watch from Kentucky I mean but you know he already kind of has a baby face he really looked like a little kid uh, at Kentucky um, as like a 17 18 year old there and yeah the, the body obviously I think all players really credit that in the first couple of years of their career that they're just capable of things that they weren't before and I would say that on the defensive end you see that when he's able to play those um, the ball handler really strong hedging out on the pick and roll like that and then um offensively that finishing and, and maybe that'll be the key too for him to continue to build there is to build up his body but um yeah it, i think that that kind of stuff I, I don't know if we ever really pay enough attention to it so it doesn't surprise me that um Connolly would would mention that ahead of about which is just like stats and and silliness a lot of the time so uh, yeah that's the underrated part i think for sure and in the wrap of Booker, we'll let's recap my I mentioned it right off the bat. I think Booker is a straight A for me, but Brendan, what's your final grade for Booker over this between the quarter and halfway stretch? I think just based on expectation you'd say A as well. Yeah, I definitely we it's A's across the board here for Booker, and now we are going to slide over to the second guy of the timeline, surprising second guy of the timeline. I don't think we'd be talking about this at the beginning of the season, but TJ Warren 
over his last 18 games, he's had 21.2 points average, uh, 3.4, or excuse me, 5.4 rebounds, 1.7 assists, and 1.1 steals a game. On 48% shooting, he's only alongside LeBron and Giannis for wings. They're putting up over 20 and 48%. So I think it's very interesting to monitor how Warren's doing that, albeit with only a 24% shooting from behind, behind the arc. So, Brendan, what's been your thoughts on this resurgence of TJ Warren? I I know we thought that TJ could be a very good second option, third option, but I don't think we expected 20-plus points a game almost every night from him. I don't think so either. Uh, I think a big flaw in his game actually up to this point in the season, or in his career rather, was um, was that inconsistency. Um, and he's completely changed that narrative for himself and for the team. You know, the team has... Uh, capable offense as we saw especially I think in a few games while Booker was out for that, that strict Warren uh, didn't have uh, you know great games every night but we saw that it doesn't it's not as if he requires the um, defensive attention on Booker to, to get open and uh, actually as much as I kind of frowned on the Suns for some of their inefficiencies as an offense with the Booker section um, helps out a little bit. So 41% of his shots are at the rim, which is a very good number. And uh, he finishes actually 64% at the rim for him, which is for uh, weighing 80, in the 87th percentile. So very, very solid, especially compared to the rest of the Suns. And then um, over half of his shots, 51% of his shots are from mid-range, which um, is not the greatest, obviously, as I talked about Booker, but that's where Warren lives, and he's made a living on those shots and, and really an efficient shot by shooting 44% from there, uh, which is in the 93rd percentile. So really, even though uh, he's a pretty horrible three-point shooter and really somebody who doesn't take that shot at this point, as we've talked about consistently, um, he's done just about as well as you possibly can, um, really in the very, very upper echelons of the league as a wing scorer who doesn't shoot threes. Um, can't really be much better than Warren's been this year. Yeah, on to that point, I mean, we've seen it a little bit over this last few games with Booker back with the spacing for TJ. I think he's the one that's benefited most off of Booker's return because he's had all these driving lanes now, and even the the resurgence of Josh Jackson dragging Bender as passers now, that's definitely opened up a lot more lanes that we discussed last night with Warren. He's getting a lot of these open lanes he didn't have when Booker was out. And when when Jackson and Bender weren't as assertive as far as playmaking goes, he was having to get a lot of these looks just for mid-range. But a lot of time now he's scoring off transition looks. He's scoring off of cuts to the rim, which I think is TJ's bread and butter. So what's your thoughts on how they're utilizing TJ? Because I think it's pretty good to his strengths. Yeah, I think that he's, um, as far as being uh, as strong and balanced as, as Warren is, um, he just moves really fluidly for somebody his size and then um, still maintains the, the strength, you would assume, of someone who was as big as he is. Um, you see a lot of the time smaller wing players, shooting guards and smaller forwards really have no chance against him when he's driving to the lane. And I think that's the biggest thing um, is to get him the ball in motion toward the rim or you know whether that's a dribble handoff or whether that's um, – on a cut or anything that that's when he looks the best. And, um, I think he's made a really good habit of, 
unless he is in an advantageous position. And for him, that does include the mid-range, which isn't true of all players. So that's why his, his scoring numbers have been so high, because he's really made that shot into something that is a positive situation for him. But um, the Suns as a team and as players, as well as what Triano does with the system, putting Warren through several screens in, in the half court in a single possession and freeing him up toward the rim, and that's kind of been a recipe for really, really great success after signing the um, big contract extension prior to the year. Yeah, looking back on that real quick, Brendan, what's your thoughts on just how McDonough could read the market like that? Because I, I don't think he expected the, the, boom, the boom of TJ Warren to happen like this. But thinking about now, if TJ would have gone into the restrictive free agency next summer, he would have gotten paid pretty big if he continues to serve in the next second half of the season. So. He's only making about $11.5 million next year. I think it, it goes up to at most $12.5 million over his four-year deal. So what's your thoughts on how McDonough was almost able to read the market and kind of buy in on his first first selection as, as the general manager of the Suns and lock him in for as long as he did? Yeah, TJ's always kind of been his guy, right? But I think that was part of why some people were maybe not um, bullish on that extension, uh, especially doing it, I think maybe the aesthetics of doing it so early um, in October, really that it was media day, right? Because we had all kind of asked him about it, and that night we were all talking, uh, and he had, and then he signed it. But you're right about it is front loaded, so 11.1 million next year, 12.1 the following year, and then it kind of goes up to 13, and then 14 in the final two. So. Um, would be interested why they did it that way. I can't think off the top of my head, but um, he's definitely earning that. That that looks pretty reasonable now after maybe not so much um, when he initially signed it just because of how inconsistent he had been, like I said. So um, fixture on this team and providing value to the extent that he has with and without Booker um, in a variety of situations as we talked about yesterday um potentially as that sixth man role that i think so many people have dreamed about for him um in the next stage of his career when this team is more competitive i think uh, i've seen plenty to believe that he could do that um, pretty well too so um, i just think he's become a much more versatile and versatile and flexible player than i would have imagined for somebody with the passing and, and shooting limitations that he has had so far. Yeah, I really think also TJ is coming into his own over the last 10 or so games. I think that, that stretch without Booker where he had those nine games of being the number one option, seeing the, the top defender each time, I think that really helped him out as well. So with the resurgence of Jackson, I think it's going to be very interesting to see how they allot those minutes between those two guys because could, we could see Booker, Jackson, and Warren out there together a lot more often. I think they want to see that more often too. So diving into, book, or diving into Warren's grade, what do you think it is, Brian? Because I think it's a... For me, I think it's an A minus. I think I would go with um, probably a B plus because I think to get in into an A for me, um, expectations with Booker, uh, he, he he that's why he got the A to me because he's exceeded expectations and really made uh, pretty massive developmental leaps as a, an efficient scorer. Um, whereas Warren, I think, has just skills that we always knew he had um and while maybe we were unsure what the extension how the extension might look as far as valuing him um all he really had to do to make that worthwhile was to 
continue to score in the ways that he, he had previously, where as if he had really, you know, exceeded by developing as a passer, doing a lot more with the ball in his hands and, or, um, you know, increasing his efficiency as a three-point shooter, even just from the corners when he's open there, he, he's not taking those shots either. So that just knocks him down a, a smidge for me. And, and I think, yeah, BB plus range is. Yeah. On that point, let's dive in. I had an A minus there. Brent had a B plus. So let's move on to our third guy on this list, and he's kind of made a resurgence over the past three or four games. Is Josh Jackson? He's out over his last eighteen though. He's averaging nine point six points, three point six rebounds, one point four assists. But the two numbers to watch with Jackson: one point four turnovers and two point six fouls per game, and only twenty two and a half minutes a game. So on Jackson, I think it's really interesting to see how he's done since Booker's return though, because if you pull up the numbers from December twenty sixth on when Booker returns. His numbers jump to 9.3 points, but he's shooting 42% from three and four rebounds, two assists. The turnovers are way down. The fouls are only two fouls, but he's still getting more playing time in that stretch. So it feels like he, the game might be slowing down for Josh. What do you, what have you seen for Josh over the past five weeks? Yeah, um, I think you're on track with uh, what I was thinking with the three-point shooting. I think that's going to be the big key for him, um, taking – only when he's open, uh, pulling up much less um, from all parts of the court. Um, I think limiting the floaters and, and layups, um, going toward the rim, kind of in chaos. And the I think we all knew from the minute that the, the season started that those pull-up mid-range shots that he relied on so heavily for the first month or two of the year are just – terrible shots um they, they they rarely go in for him they really go in for most players in this league um and we're, we're gonna have no part in his game for the foreseeable future so if he can limit those um that's gonna be the key and making those open threes but um a couple numbers that stuck out to me for him um went back in and checked his steal percentage which was so um elite it was at 2.4 percent the last time we did this I kept the notes from that, which I thought I threw away, so that was nice to go back. Um, and uh, now down to 1.8%, I think, have to do with the inconsistencies in, in role and playing time. Maybe you know that's something to watch. It might shoot back up again if he is on the court more consistently with better players around him. Um, but even now, that 1.8% is in the 82nd percentile, according to Cleaning the Glass. So he's making an impact as a defensive player. Definitely. 22% usage, which is just monstrous for somebody so limited on offense, um, as well as a 15.2% turnover ratio, uh, rate. Um, you know, he's really using those possessions inefficiently when he does get them. 23% overall on jump shots, which I think might be the most telling statistic of any of these uh, on offense for him. 23% on jump shots. That's worse than even the people who were worried about that shot coming out of Kansas might have assumed, I think. Yeah, do you think that – I know when I talked to Josh about it a month or two ago, he, he said that he's just finding his, his hot spots on the floor and testing stuff out. But he, I think he's still in the process of testing it out. But I think that's probably what's happened over the past five or so games is they probably sat him down and told him that he needs to refine his skill set, focus more on defense and the threes, and everything else will come to him like they've been saying over the past few days. And it's starting to translate for Jackson. But to your point, the 23% jump, percent jump shot rate is – that's pretty scary to think about because Jackson's at his best at the rim, and 
he really hasn't gone on the rim enough, right? Yeah, 40% of his shots are there, um, which is basically in line with what the Suns do as a team, a little bit higher, and then uh, I think he's shooting basically exactly the same. He's 58% compared to the Suns, 59%, so very low, especially for a bigger, longer player like him. You should even expect that he would do better than average. Um, And then to that point on just simplifying the game, um, you know, I can imagine, though, that especially as a young player who's had so much success and was a, a really high, highly recruited player coming out of high school, had success there, that um, coming into the NBA and finding out in a really harsh way that you can't make shots at the rim or f- or from three or from mid-range, um, you know, the threes are coming recently. That's a very good development for him. But to just kind of learn that the only way you're going to score on offense is completely wide-open shots um, is probably very frustrating for him. And so that was the note I had for him is he right now can impact the game as a defender and a passer. I think that that's true. And so um, it's just going to be about him buying into that and really finding – you know, whatever it takes to, to get out of bed and, and decide that that's going to be the positive impact he has on this team. Um, and, you know, I think we've seen that, and that's sort of translated into more opportunities to score and shoot. And maybe that's how it'll be, the give and take there with the coaching staff is, you know, the more that he does provides energy on defense and, and affects the game as a passer, then the more chances he'll get to be involved in the offense. Yeah, the, what's interesting, though, is after he got a DMP CD from Jay Triana, we t- touched on this last night as well, but Josh Jackson's averages over his last three games are, are along the lines of what we expected when he came out of Kansas. That's 14 points a game on 5.7 rebounds, three assists, 0.7 steals, 0.7 blocks, only 1.7 turnovers to that assist ratio, so it's going up a little bit. And he has the best plus-minus in the roster over that stretch, this three-game stretch. So just on the just on the past three games alone, What's been your thoughts on Jackson? I think he's doing that, right? So exactly what I said, I think a lot of the optimism comes from those last three games. The plus-minus, okay, the th- he got a plus 34 last yeah. night, so um, that'll probably bust, bump him up for quite a while. But I think, you know, whether it's Booker coming back and, and Marquise Chris, yeah, apart from last night, Mar- Marquise Chris um, really becoming sort of that third scoring option, for the Suns and, and allowing Jackson to kind of settle back into a um, type of player rather than earlier in the year. I mean, he, he started at the beginning of the season and I think that was a mistake. And then, you know, without, without Booker was starting as well. So I think um, the rotation and, and the pecking order on this team has helped him. And then uh, just the ball movement last night, especially, I think that's a really great way for him to, to be involved is when that ball's ripping around the perimeter and cutting into the, the paint like that, then he's a, he's a very valuable player in that type of system. Yeah, with Jackson, we're going we're gonna to recap with his final grade here. What's your, what's your grade, Brandon? I'll give mine right after yours. I would say probably a C still, mm-hmm. um, just kind of an average. I think you weigh the improvements uh, the past week or so with the frustrations, um, for really most of this this section, but I think you've seen enough recently where he's not quite, you know, D or F. I think that would be disrespectful <laughs> of the progress he's made, but uh, I would say a C. 
Yeah, I, I'm going to go along the same lines. I had a C-plus written down, so we had the same thinking there. But with Jackson, before we move on to our next candidate, which is Dragon Bender, just compare him to Jason Tam and OG Anunu because I've had some people bring it up to me. But if you throw Jackson on Toronto or Boston and throw Tatum or Anunu here, do you feel like it's the same scenario all over again, just different guys? Because I feel like if you gave Jackson that Boston roster, you gave Jackson the other roster, I feel like he's a lot better. I think so. I think Boston especially, well, and, and Toronto's playing more of a ball movement system this year too. I think that excel, but uh, I mean, the real key for those guys being able to play real minutes for competitive, um, almost title contending level teams this year has been um, the, and so I, I do think that he would be better because I think the players around him would have been a lot better. You know, Kyrie Irving and Al Horford are much better than any twosome that the the Suns can throw out. But, you know, Jackson wouldn't have been able to shoot just because he was on a better team or because him. Yeah, with Dragon, we're going to dive into Dragon Bender now. Over his last 19 games, he's averaging 5.9 points. And he's also shooting... The second best on the team on three-point percentage, which is pretty big development for him, 39.5%. But like Scott Bordeaux brought up to me today at practice, I think a lot of those games have been Bender super hot from three, then he's, then he's cold, then he's hot, then he's cold. Have you noticed that as well with Bender? Yeah, I think um, game to game even you can see it. I think he had, before last night, I think he had a couple, like a one for five and then a one for six, um, if I'm not mistaken. And so... Yeah, that, the consistency has been the thing for him all along, I think, the confidence and the consistency. Um, so I think it's just been maybe even just simplifying it as much as more hot nights than cold nights um, this season compared to last season. Yeah, and to add on to some more stats here that Bender's put up, he's he's put up 2.4 rebounds, 1.4 assists, almost a block a game, only a plus-minus of minus 0.8, which is in the top five over that stretch. So... He's definitely making his defensive impact, like we talked about. He's showing definitely over the last few weeks that he is capable of checking wings like Paul George or Carmelo Anthony and staying with them and getting them at the rim. So just what's your what's been your thoughts, not not only as Bender improving as a shooter, but also as improving as a defender? Because, I mean, the potential was there in year one, and we saw him have some moments there, but he's putting up those moments on defense a lot more frequently. I agree. Um and he's another guy, um, so minus uh, for the season, like you said, but um, plus 3.3. I've been, I used the last 15 games as a benchmark for a lot of these um, because I, that would include uh, Booker's absence and then the six after his return up to that Thunder game. And so Bender in the last 15, uh, it's a plus 3.3 net rating compared to a negative 6.5 on the season. Um, I think he's been a big part of the the Suns' defensive improvements, uh, especially on the second unit for that Bookerless stretch, um, and then more opportunities with the starters recently. Three blocks last uh, on Sunday night was a really big step for him. But I think you know, just as it is with shooting on offense and the passing on offense, the the consistency, the ability to rebound and and play more as a center, which I think is probably his eventual position when he fills out as a you know with skill set and the body um and then you know 
looked uh, aside from just the occasional switch onto a guard or block at the rim. I think the Memphis game, the uh, which one? The win, the first win, when he played 32 minutes, um, didn't score the ball particularly well, but uh, that game he was a plus 17 and really controlled the second half defensively um a block and a steal on the final possession for memphis that really sealed the game a really close game two point win there um those kinds of games where he's just the absolute difference as a defender are going to be um the key for him because even if the shot three-point shot is falling that's not enough to really be you know a consistent rotation player a starter at all so um the defense is still going to be the biggest area where he can impact the game in this season yeah i just condensed down my my stat search here on dragon bender over his last seven games since devin booker returned and the numbers here are pretty good as well seven points but he's also shooting 44 percent from three which is the best on the team and he's averaging almost three assists a game three rebounds nearly a block and a steal a game so it seems like maybe we could say it's all about almost every young guy with the timeline with Booker. Booker's almost helping push these guys to another level over this, this last couple-week stretch, right? Because Bender, I think Bender's really, maybe alongside TJ is probably the other one that's probably benefit the most from Booker's return because now he has that extra space and they get more shots off and he can has the more confidence now to drive to the rim with that extra spacing. I think so, and I think, um, yeah, so as of right now for the season, 67% of his shots are have been from three, uh, which is kind of crazy. It looks that way. I mean, just most of the shots that he puts up when you're watching him are from three, and he's become a a really smart player in the pick and pop, I think, Um, patient behind the line when the driver is running to the rim, uh, just staying there ready to shoot and then putting the shot up quickly. He's always had a really quick release, which is, I think, going to continue to help him down the line. Um, But, yeah, I think we all want to see him uh, take that uh, play more, have that face-up game and, and attack closeouts a little bit better because he does have quick feet even though he's so tall, especially when he's playing uh, against traditional types of bigs. He can he can you know get past them, blow by them to the rim. He's done it. Uh, I think we just want to see him do it more. Yeah, on just a general a general statement here on Bender because I don't think it's touched on enough. Is he's Like you said, he's 7-1. He has very fast foot speed and he's able to check those wings but also he can pass the ball very well. He can shoot from three. He can steal and block a lot of shots. So a lot of those guys at seven foot and above, those they're not around the NBA often. If, if Bender can hit, then I think he could be a very valuable piece. But to that point, though, he has had very inconsistent stretches, and it really depends on the night with Bender because if he's hot, he's hot. But if he's cold, he's very ice cold. And really at points, how have you seen – as far as his tendencies go with aggressiveness, because I know we've seen it more as far as when Booker returned, but before that he was passing the ball immediately, not really looking around. Yeah, I think it's it's still um, very inconsistent. Uh, he, he had a, I think it was the Lakers game, which was quite a while ago now, um, in November. Yeah, the middle of November. I remember that game stuck out to me. Obviously that was from the first quarter, um, so not part of this stretch, but... Uh, he had a, I think he had a turnaround from the post as well as a drive past Andrew Bogut. Um, that game sticks out to me. Um, I actually don't have one uh, offensively with the aggressiveness that sticks out to me from this second quarter of the season. Uh, I do think there were large chunks of this portion that he was pretty um, 
frustrating. And uh, that Memphis game I pointed to earlier, he uh, they hosted three games right around Christmas, Memphis, Minnesota, and then Memphis again. And um, he was three of 15 from three over those three games. So, yeah, to your point, um, the, the flashes are exactly that. They're flashes. And, you know, last Sunday, the game against the Thunder was a very uh, important step, I think, playing 39 minutes especially and, and affecting the game throughout was big for him, but we'll see how it continues. Now, real quick, we, we did touch on the last episode, but I think it should be touched on with the with the reports here as well, is we didn't see Bender and Chris often at all over this quarterly stretch, halfway stretch. And I think this before the three-quarter stretch we're going to have in a month or two, I think that's when we're going to be seeing over these next 20 games a lot of Bender and Chris, I imagine. So just what's your thoughts on, on those two together? And I, I think you said we'll probably be seeing it more often, but – how do you think it's going to go? Yeah, I think you're right, especially as we you know, expect that some of Greg Monroe, Tyson Chandler, Jared Dudley are going to be on the move. Uh, one or more of those guys probably will start to hear rumors about, and so that's going to limit your front court depth and um, make it so that these guys probably have to be on court more together. Um, and so... Like I said, though, I think the key for Bender is going to be the rebounding and playing, uh, putting up the, the having the skills and putting up the numbers that you associate with the traditional big because the really stretchy, versatile lineups, even for the best teams, only work because um, those players that are playing up a position are able to um, affect the game the way that a typical big normally would, and then the ceiling lifts when they can actually add the shooting and the switchiness on defense and um, you know passing in Bender's case. But you know the Warriors' death lineup or, or something like that that works because Draymond Green is an elite defender for his position and size because he can protect the rim uh, as well as players that are you know half a foot taller than him, and um, then you know they unlock a new level because he can shoot and pass so well as well but Bender isn't going to be able to have that impact against you know a floor bound center if he can't rebound and protect the rim and, and do all of those things uh, night to night and so that'll be the big step for him yeah it's a very good point to bring up there but wrapping up on Dragon how do you think he graded out over this 20 game stretch because for me I think it's the straight C I, we saw a lot of flashes over the past week or so with Devin back but I think for Bender it's just too inconsistent right now and a lot of times he was very passive over the stretch and hopefully his grade is a lot better I think he's one of the guys that really needs to improve over these next 20 games but how do you think he graded out because for me it was a C yeah actually um, completely agree I had a C as well so uh, um, I think we're, we're in agreement though that he probably from this one until the third quarter has the best shot of improving his rating yeah, and in diving into Marquise Chris, I can just bounce off that final point brought up with Chris and Bender there. Do you think maybe Marquise is the guy that could be that that Draymond guy that's a five that could play like that? Because I know, I, I guess Earl Watson or however that worked, there was conflicting things saying that they were trying to build up Marquise to be a five. And McDonough comes out and says that Marquise is almost fat and he's too out of shape. So there's a lot of conflicting stuff there. But what's what, what was your thoughts on how they built him out this summer? And do you think they were trying to make him a five? And... Do you think he could be a five down the line if Bender is still just a stretch four? Because right now, like you said, Bender is not a rebounder. He's just a straight stretch four. Yeah, I think Chris has looked apart much more than Bender, even despite being 
slightly shorter at probably you know six nine six ten six eleven somewhere in there um i i don't know if it necessarily um matters offensively but defensively i think he's shown success already defending um centers zach randolph had he had one bad game against zach randolph during this stretch and then one pretty good game against zach randolph um and so I think he has the I, my note for him actually kind of plays right into that one of the, the defensive notes I had was that he, he's been playing with balance similar to what I said um, with TJ Warren but as a defender Chris has reason he got um, into so much foul trouble early last season and, and even into this season at, this, at the beginning of the year was he gets caught off balance a, a guy can bump him in the chest and he stumbles backwards and then He's, he's forced to use his hands to defend um, under the rim um, instead of his body and uh, an ability to really master verticality um, and still, I think, has many steps to go in that area, but you know, holding his ground, playing more strong and physically on defense has been a, a big key to avoiding fouls, but also you know staying on guys and you know protecting the rim better. And I think that's been a key for his rebounding as well, which I think is another reason that he could be a better, um, you know, the biggest player on the court more easily. Yeah, I just put in Marquise's numbers over his 19 game stretch, which was in 22 and a half minutes, was eight points five rebounds, 1.4 assists, 0.8 steals, and 0.8 blocks. And I threw those numbers into the system real quick, and it's spit out guys that are under 24 that are doing that. And it's Andre Drummond, Anthony Davis, Otto Porter, Stephen Adams, Carl Anthony Towns, Nicole Jokic, Ben Simmons, John Collins, Lonzo Ball, Jason Tatum, and Marquise Chris. So he's in some pretty good company, even though it wasn't the, a great stretch for Marquise. He's showing just how versatile and valuable he could be down the line if he is de- if he's developing right. Because remember, guys, he is still only in his sixth or seventh year playing basketball itself. So it's interesting to see how he's going to develop because he's he's a freak of a prospect. But just what's your thoughts on his stats and just like his overall projection? Because I think he showed a lot more flashes over this halfway point than Bender and Jackson did. So what's been your thoughts with him? Yeah, the first the first thing I think of with that list is that it's literally insane that Anthony Davis even is able to be on that list under 24 it doesn't make any sense to me um but i just think um as far as chris goes that was my actually my second note is just he's been all over the court in a in a really impactful player in all those different situations as a passer switching um screens on defense and and doing a really good job um corralling smaller players and and i think triano you've seen more uh, of that from him and I asked him about that at the last game that I was at, and, and he said, you know, we trust that Chris, I think, just has the foot speed uh, combined with the length and shot-blocking timing to really make the most of some of those matchups, especially against, um, you know, lesser ball handlers, secondary guys. And so we've seen more of that, and he's, he's handled that, that responsibility well. Um, offensively, I do think... He still needs to continue to develop. I, one random thing I noticed from him that I don't know if you saw was he's had f- um, four blocked dunks and he's missed nine total this year. So 35 uh, dunk attempts and he's missed nine, four of which were blocked. Wow, that is interesting because I know he tries to time those out, so maybe just the timing thing, but 
Yeah, it's just a random little nugget. I don't know. I mean, it's not like I really remember any of them specifically, but uh, maybe just kind of goes to the point of playing a little bit out of control. But just, you know, I feel like a lot of them are alley-oops and stuff, so it just kind of just shocked me. For sure. I mean, with the capability of Chris and his athleticism, he's a freaky prospect, like I said. And looking at his his other stats as well, his three-point percentage over the stretch was 28.8%. His field goal percentage was 449 but since Booker returned, his three-point percentage jumped to almost 35%. So just what's your thoughts on Chris and his shot? Because I know from the free throw line, he missed 18 straight at one point over this court, this halfway stretch. But he bounced out of that funk, but still shooting 54% from the line and 28% from three. So what's your read on how Chris is going to develop on those ends? Yeah, he does. Um of his shots right now at the rim. I think that should go way up. Um, That's fine. I I think it will continue to to go up. He shoots a lot of threes, which I also think is a building block for him. So I don't know how much of a nit I have to pick there. But, um, you know, just as the rest of the Suns, sort of a consistent point for them is not really elite. Um, As a finisher, 62% for Chris around the rim which compared to Jackson and Warren uh, and Booker was higher than any of those players but as he's classified as a big and takes ideally takes much many more of his shots um, around that area uh, he's only in the 31st percentile as a big in the restricted area so that's um, something he definitely can build on and similar to Jackson as well he's only 32 percent overall on jump shots um, 31% from three and 51% overall from two. So that does include rim shots from the rim, but um, seems to get more efficient. And I think Chris is a, a uh, not not excluded from that at all. Yeah, speaking on a final point here on Marquise, just I know we think that Bender and and Jax could be in line to have a strong third quarter early stock report, but do you think that Chris could be in line to make it three in a row for? possible guys that could have positive grades in this next stretch because I feel like we've seen those flashes from those three but I think we could be seeing them more consistently over this next 20 game stretch yeah the injury I don't imagine it causing too many problems you hope it doesn't because he was playing so well up to that point um he's actually a plus 17.9 net rating since Booker's return uh last game will probably bring that down a little bit so maybe don't check that now but before that Thunder game was plus 17.9, I think, led the team. Besides, I think Dudley and Daniel House were both above him, but for, for as far as consistent regular rotation guys, um, really, really high, the highest, I think. And so um, as well as um, 8.3 uh, rebounds per game uh, over his last six, which were the ones that Booker had played. So really positive signs, and I think you're right that um, – He's probably even the most likely player where Bender and Jackson, we are optimistic that they could and should be uh, improved. I think Chris, maybe he's even the most likely that he can build on this since he's shown probably the most out of those three already in the second quarter. For sure. He's got a lot of versatile weapons in his tool chest as far as filling out the stat sheet. And like he showed in the quarterly stock or the halfway report, he didn't have the best stretch, but he still was alongside names that are pretty elite in this league as far as age goes alongside his timeline. But as far as Booker and Chris and Bender, this popped in my head, so I might as well ask you, but if they build out Chris and Bender as perimeter shooting bigs, I think we touched on this a little bit when we discussed the Kevin O'Connor article, but if they build those two guys as perimeter stretch bigs at the four and the five, 
how would that look? Because I feel like that's a pretty unique thing that could happen, and and it could really help Booker long term. I think that's um, probably the goal. I think that's why they continue to let those guys shoot from three, um, despite Chris and, and really both of them struggling so much um, here and there. Really cold streaks, as you brought up, and. Um, yeah, I don't imagine as much as we want to see them playing together and how important that is long-term, I don't imagine that they would ever be starting together. I just don't think two of those guys can play that many minutes together game to game. Maybe eventually they're closing games in the right matchups or, um, you know, there's lots of ways to mix and match that, but they complement each other really well. And I think Chris has taken strides to be a better complement even as a rebounder and shot blocker to what Bender has been doing. For sure, and I think for my final grade on Marquise over this stretch, I think I'm probably I might be a little higher than you. I think I'm gonna go. I've waffled between a C plus and a B minus, so I might as well give him the benefit of the doubt and give him a B minus. So, what, what's your grade on Keese over this twenty game stretch? I was really really happy with him um, over the last few, so I'm trying not to let that affect too much um, how I see him now, but. I would say I'll go C plus. Um, just again, the inconsistency. I, I want to factor that in, but uh, I think he's shown signs that he really, really can build up on, and I feel pretty confident that he will be able to continue. Now, a guy that we touched on in the quarterly stock reports, and I think I don't want to forget about in this one is Jay Triano, and the the job he's done over this twenty game stretch is pretty remarkable. He had almost half those games out Devin Booker. He had a 500 record in that stretch he the Suns are 8 and 11 over the stock report so I think that's pretty remarkable even though it's against inferior teams I don't think anyone expected the Suns to be possibly thinking about 30 or 30 plus wins this season I think everyone was thinking more along the lines of 20 to 25 especially after that first three game start so just what's been your thoughts on how creative Triano has been because I think he's been one of the more creative coaches out there because he's drawing up a lot of good plays out, out of timeout and especially the rim play at the end where Dragon Bender was almost like Carson Palmer, Larry Fitzgerald, or Tyson Chandler. Yeah, the uh, Triano, I think, if you, like you said about, you know, being at practice today and Booker and Dudley are talking about the playoffs, um, if somebody had told you after Bledsoe and Watson led the team to like a negative 115 plus minus as a team for those first three games that you would go to a practice in the middle of January, beginning of January, and the team's star player who's thinking about an all-star appearance would be talking about, you know, even if it may be perhaps a little bit far-fetched, that they were gearing up for a playoff run, I think you would have been um, as a Suns fan or follower. So uh, in a way, I think that kind of tells you all that you need to know about his performance so far this year and how really tremendous it's been. So um, I'm inclined to give him an A. Yeah, I think I'm going to go with you as well. I think he deserves an A. And I think I was touching on with Scott Bordeaux at practice and Kevin Zerman of, of ArizonaSports.com. We were thinking about if Triano so far has deserved the job, if the Suns do get 30 to 33 wins or something, and even like 28, what what do you think about Triano long-term as a long-term coach here? Because the fit is there. I think the guys are buying in with Triano, but I want to see a thorough search process, just not like Earl Watson last time. But like Bordeaux brought to me today at practice, Triano is actually a coach. Watson wasn't. So 
it might be different this time around. So what's your thoughts on your current read of how that situation is going to end up in April? Because for me, I think he's definitely, if not the top candidate, easily a top two, top three candidate for whoever they're thinking about. I agree. I, I think that, you know, two things I agree with. One, that you want a more thorough search. Uh, you want candidates. Uh, I mean, if I'm sure there's a lot of people listening to this that are also Cardinals fans. Um, the Cardinals are doing a really good job right now of interviewing candidates across the board, assistants all over the league, um, names that you would assume names that you maybe had never even heard of, uh, really doing the, doing it right in that way. And so I think doing a very similar thing with just how many talented coaching minds there are in the world, in, in even you know the college and NBA ranks here, that you can't possibly know that Jay Triano is the absolute only guy you want, despite his success here this year. But um, the other thing is, I think you're right. I mean, can you imagine what we'd be talking about in this section if Earl Watson was still the coach? It would be how many different lineups he'd tried, how the wackiest quote he'd given on the radio, or um, you know whether or not he was going to get fired in the next couple weeks. And so uh, I think it's a testament just to how much of a stabilizing presence Triano has been. And and you can't understate that. But um, the only other thing too, to consider here is that Booker, if he does have the power that Ryan McDonough and and others have talked about him potentially having uh, over the off season with personnel decisions and coaching decisions that, you know, he told Scott in that Republic piece um, a month or so now that, you know, he has kind of bought into Triano long-term. And so depending on, that could play a pretty big part in this decision too yeah I think that's going to be a very big factor just depending on how they I think the next 20 games is really going to decide that because I think this this 20 game stretch for this the three quarter stock report we're going to have I think in a month or so it's probably going to be the toughest stretch of games the Suns are going to face the entire season they face a lot of playoff teams over this stretch so just as a wrap up to this pod Brennan how do you feel like this next 20 games is going to go and how do you feel like we're going to be grading these grades out for these young prospects? I think it's going to be a lot of a lot of L's possibly in the call, maybe a few surprise wins with Booker leading them. But I think we're probably going to be focusing more on the development of the prospects more than wins and losses, how it really should have been at the beginning of the season. Yeah, I think the minutes are trending the right way for a lot of players, and, and not just the Thunder game. Those guys got a lot of minutes in that game. But I think apart from Jackson's DNP and um, – some some odd things from Chris and Bender here and there. I think that things are trending in the right way. Uh, maybe Warren will start to you know learn less about him. I think he's kind of a finished product, at least as far as this year goes. He's been pretty much stationary for a while now. Um, you know, seeing what Booker can do, leading as a you know a leader, but also as that point guard type lead ball handler, and then what these guys can do to kind of fill in the gaps, and then. Um, yeah, they, they have an opportunity to really impress if they do pull away some, some wins, like starting with their next game, which is Houston at home on national TV Friday night. Um, but I agree, just with the trade deadline coming up, with such a difficult schedule, with momentum moving in the right way for a lot of these prospects, I think the next 20 games um, are important for really you know what this season looks like and how we feel coming out of it, but also... Um, it's a very important stretch, I think, for just, you know, hashtag the timeline overall and, you know, how we feel about these guys as, as a unit and as individuals. For sure. I think 
this is definitely going to be a very important 20 game stretch for these sons, no matter wins or losses, just with development. Because, like you said, these guys are 20, 21, less 24 years old almost. So, to that point, I think you have to have some sort of flashes consistently with them. But to end this podcast, I wanted to say appreciate it. And thanks for listening into the Halfway Stock Reports. And we'll be back with you guys on Friday after, after that to recap the Houston Rockets game. But to that point, one final note, Brandon, we sold over 2,000 tickets for Brad's that night. And we should touch on that real quick. Just what's, what, what's your thoughts on just how, how incredible it is? Because 800 in the first year, 1,200 the second year, which with help from the Phoenix Suns and Jared Dudley, but 2,000 this time around, 2,000 plus around this point, I think around 2,200 to with no help at all from the Suns, just everyone just donating in. I think it's pretty incredible. It's awesome. Um, I think there's probably still tickets available too um, for people to come be a part of that uh, as fans themselves. And um, just to really, I think that's the coolest part of all of it is just to have um, those kids get that experience of um, seeing the Suns and, you know, exciting too that they're being so competitive. I think that's cool it's always more fun to have your first game or one of your first memories of the suns or any sports team be of a win or a competitive game with a star like devin booker but um yeah the niceness we saw from all across um sb nation and the internet and um john gambadero of arizona sports posted it on his twitter several times and just the way that everyone kind of came together for this is awesome to see and i think it's going to pay off on Sunday night. For sure. If you guys want to donate, it's still only $9. If you go to sunsnba.com slash sun slash brightside, it's nba.com slash sun slash brightside. But to that point, we appreciate you guys listening to the Halfway Stock Reports. I know this is a pretty long episode, but we have a lot of information in here for you. We'll be back with you guys on Friday to recap the Houston Rockets game. But on a quick guest note, we do have Jonathan Jerks of the Ringer coming on early next week. So be looking forward to that. We're going to be touching on a lot of fun stuff with him. But until then, thanks for listening and we'll see you guys later.